Hello and welcome back to The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. And on today's episode, a round two playoff preview. I'm going to be joined again by my cousin Eric, or as he's known in my family as, Cool E. You see, my brother's name is Evan, my cousin's name is Eric, and growing up, they were two kids who used to love to style their hair and get their tan on at the beach, so they always just have competitions as to who was cooler. If I'm going to be the judge after it's all said and done and we've eclipsed our 30s, I'm going to give the nod to Eric. So Eric has always been cool E in our family. So moving forward on this podcast, we will be joined by our beloved cool E. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by the cool E. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get to the meat of the episode, let me tell you guys where you can meet me. First, by listening to this podcast. I will continue to release episodes at least two or three times a week throughout at least the rest of the NBA playoffs, so make sure you are subscribed, and if you could drop a rating and a review, that would be awesome. Second, on Twitter. Make sure you're following my handle at AdvantagePod underscore SE. Since this is a sports ethos presentation podcast, the SE stands for sports ethos. Shout out to them. Third, by subscribing to the Sports Ethos Wager Pass and getting access to their Discord channel. That is where I post all my written thoughts, and that's actually where I post all my bets right when I take them. So if you're interested in tailing along my plays, make sure you get access there, and you will see every bet as soon as I place it. All right, let's get back to it. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, follow me on Twitter, and let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. We are now joined by Eric, a.k.a. Cooley. Eric, I let the people know that you have the Cooley nickname in our family and that you were going to continue it onto the podcast. But before we get started, give us a quick apology. The last time you were on this podcast, I asked you to say a few words about Chris Paul and Ja Morant, and your words were trash. So to restore some credibility to your name, Give me 30 seconds, a quick apology to those guys who have been absolute showstoppers since we put out that episode. Okay, I want to start off with one. This is an extremely dangerous narrative. I never said Chris Paul's trash. He looked trash. John Morant, I'm sorry. I said you're trash. Um, You were trash. I was wrong. (laughs) But uh, Chris Paul was unbelievable that game six. I thought they could potentially lose the series, but I was wrong. Didn't think Devin Booker was coming back, but I don't think I said Chris Paul was trash, Mike. I'll take it, though. All right, maybe I misunderstood. Um, Eric, since, since we're recording this on Sunday, we're going to skip the Bucks celtics which we already touched on, and the uh, Warriors versus Memphis, because I don't think we're going to get this posted for time for people to listen to it in time. So let's start with the games on Monday. But if I am going to... Uh, throw you under the bus i might as well prop you up a little bit you did say that you expected the celtics versus bucks over under to come out at 218 and you nailed it it came out exactly at 218 wow yes so very so pumped good, about that so good on you there it's uh, been a little bit down to the under um and actually the people that i follow so there's a few expert nba people that i follow and they are actually betting the over so i'm not on that because there's a lot of indicators to bet the under that I follow, but a lot of the people that I respect are betting the over. 
So a bit of uh, confusion, but you did nail that line at 218. So we'll just wait for the first game. I'm on the Celtics minus five. I do think that they cover the spread. It has since dropped to minus four and a half. So if you were able to jump on the Celtics, I mean, you're going to be listening to this after that game one. So I might look like a, a kid with egg on my face if they lose, but I have the Celtics minus five and I have no bets in on the Warriors Grizzlies game yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric, let's start with the Monday night games. We have the heat versus the 76ers to start. And of course we have no Joel Embiid with the orbital fracture and the concussion. We have a questionable Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. How are you reading this series? Is it just impossible to get a read on this series? What are you expecting going in? What are you, what are angles are you taking given the news that we have? Well, I know Joel Embiid's injury is serious, and I know he's out for the foreseeable future. That we're sure of. So, wow. Are we? With Joel Embiid? I think he's back game two. Really? Yeah. I don't. So that actually plays strongly into the betting angle, I think. Sure. It's it's everything. Right. Um, so maybe that in itself shows that this is so hard to bet. I already put in a heat minus four and a heat on the series at minus 155. So the heat minus four was game one point spread and the heat minus 155 was their series to win. So I put those in before the Joel news, which mm-hmm. I'm stoked about now. I mean, I don't like that Joel's hurt. But given the context, I'm glad that I put my bets in before the injury happened. Um, But if you go back to the Game 6 in Toronto, when he was on the court celebrating the victory after they had won, Mm -hmm. he's being interviewed and he's on the mic saying, I think Pascal broke my face. And then he's like, seriously, I think my face is broken. Like the guy started laughing and he's like, no, 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 seriously, I think my face is broke. And that was my Joel Embiid uh, accent, if you couldn't tell. So, yeah, I couldn't. Uh. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was towing the line between getting myself fired from my own show and uh, sounding like an idiot. So yeah, it was awful, but it's very funny nonetheless. Uh. So he was saying his face is broken, but he then he said he goes, "It's the playoffs. It's all good." So I think what we're really waiting on more than anything is the concussion protocol. I think that is out of his own hands. But once he gets cleared from the concussion protocol, and we heard minor concussion, so it's at least five days in the protocol, and he'll have more than five days before game two from when he went in, so he will get retested and potentially let out. But I think we're going to see that black face mask Joel Embiid in game two. Yeah, he'll pl- I agree, Mike. He's, he's, he's playing in the series, without a doubt. Um, I think the only thing me, and disagree, me and you disagree about is when he's coming back as game one or game two. I think he plays at home, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he plays on the road at all. Um, I think it's an orbital fracture in the face. I, I, he could wear the mask. That's a pretty significant injury. He also has the fractured finger. So, you know, obviously this team without him cannot win. He, the offense is entirely run through him. He's one of those players you can't lose. Not unlike, you know, Luka Doncic or Giannis or any of the superstars in our league that you run through, like Jokic, it's the whole offense is run through him, and the defense is honestly run through him. He, and he I want and I want to just stop you right there. I just want to let you know you so you don't people don't say this guy sounds like an idiot. You say Luca because we just saw the Mavs win sans Luca. You say Giannis because we saw last year in the playoffs against Atlanta the Bucks pull out two games without Giannis when he went down with his knee. 
So right. I think you're just saying that this is a different case in that you don't think the Sixers can withstand a Joel injury. No, well, I think you're also going up against an elite defense that specializes on how to attack teams like strength. So um, with Spolstra, for example, I, I, I think he's very good at eliminating your best player. But it, if you look at the way the Sixers play as opposed to it's a little different because, first of all, Joel Embiid, I'm not saying he's more valuable than Giannis or Luka, but if you watch the way the Mavs play, they have a plethora of guards that could come in and sort of hold down the fort when Luka's out. Not to say Embiid's more important, but with with Sixers, their backup center is Paul Reed or DeAndre Jordan. So as opposed to going to Dinwiddie or Brunson and running like a stingy defense against a, a mediocre Jazz team... It's a much different animal to play the Heat without Joel Embiid, who is a center, who you run your whole offense through. And I think, you know... He's the, the offensive center, and defensive anchor of this team as well. Correct. So I think you run the whole defense through his ability to protect the paint, too. Absolutely. And you're going against, arguably, in my mind, the best coach in the league. I think, I've been saying this for years, I think he makes on-the-fly adjustments. I think he makes in-game adjustments. Whereas another key pivotal factor in this series is that Doc Rivers does not. He does not make adjustments, and if you're not going to make an adjustment for your best player being out um, against maybe the most defensively hounding team in the NBA, I think you're in trouble. And and I'm leaning on the side of Jimmy Butler's good to go. That injury is very weird. He did not play in the Hawks' closeout game, and that was not just a rest. You don't sit a 3-1 at home because you lose 3-2. You go back to Atlanta, it's 3-3. Who knows? So Jimmy Butler was definitely injured. Kyle Lowry's injured. I think Kyle Lowry's a little more insignificant. Um, although he would have the duty of on-ball pressure against Harden, I think Harden is aging a little bit, and it's noticeable, and I think you could take him out easier with backups like Gabe Vincent or whoever filled the role. But, um, you know, what I was saying is while Luka and Giannis, they were able to win without this is a different animal. This is the second round against the Heat. Yep. And just the matchup-wise, you're going to need Joel Embiid for a coach who doesn't make adjustments. Let's remember that. So, Eric, the way that the betting on this series has gone, so I said it, the line came out at minus 155 for the Heat to win the series. I jumped on that right away. When the Joel news first came out uh, and the lines reopened with, with updated odds, it was Heat minus 490 to win the series, so a clear favorite. And now that's since been bet back down to the Heat minus 375 and the Philadelphia 76ers plus 300. If you think that uh, the Sixers are going to take either of these one or two games in Miami, then you could put a little bit of juice on the Sixers plus 300 because the time, if they do steal home court advantage, by the time we get back to Philadelphia, you'd be able to bet on the other side and lock in a profit with a hedge. But personally, it's not something I would recommend given the uncertainty around the Embiid injury, the concussion protocol, that's completely out of his hands. Correct. And, you know, the orbital fracture, which might be in his hands, but it's still a, a tough injury to play with. And then, of course, the hand injury <laughs> on top of everything else. Yeah, it's an actual hand injury. Yeah, that requires surgery immediately after the season. Eric, for game one, that line's at eight and a half. For the so I said I got it at minus four. It's now jumped to eight and a half. Wow! And think about that for a second, Mike. That's doubling up the line in a span of twenty-four hours. That shows you how valuable their best player is. So, yes, and I think it might 
it's a it's a bit of a stretch for me to say that Joel's worth four and a half points. I don't think any NBA player is worth four and a half points in a betting line. Um, I think it's the perfect storm, though, to what we were saying previously or what I was saying previously. Right. That you're going against a, a, a genius chess coach who will make adjustments to your best player being out versus a coach who will make none. So the way I see this game going, Mike, if I could just interject real quick, um, is Harden running through the offense through him, and it won't work. They're going to hound him. They're going to pick him up early. They're going to be physical. I like this eight and a half line for the Heat. You you would do you, okay. The over unders uh two oh eight and a half, and the spread is eight and a half. I was going to ask you, do you have any? Because I'm not going to get myself more invested in this since I already have the minus four line. Mm-hmm. As someone new entering this game and this betting market, would you be willing to lay the eight and a half, or would you be able willing to go over under two oh eight, or is it a no bet situation for you? If I were to take anything, Mike, um. It's interesting. Um, I probably would take the line, but I want to be clear on the under as a potential play because the Sixers played at the 28th pace in the NBA this year, which is Mm -hmm. obviously the third slowest, and the Heat's defense is stifling. So 208 seems like a low number. It's scary to attack, but I really see this being in the 100 to 90 score, if not 80s for Sixers, as crazy as that sounds. However, they might pick up the pace with Embiid out because I think they intentionally played a slow pace with the center so we could get up and down the court, not unlike how the Nuggets do it with Jokic. One thing I did notice in the... Sorry to cut you off. One thing I did notice in the Mavericks-Utah first series when Luka was out, and maybe this can be cross-applied to this series, is when a team's best player is out, their defense has to step up that much more on every possession because they know the value of every point in a game like this is going to be that much more important. So, like, you have Thibel and Danny Green and Paul Reed and these guys playing as intensive defense as they can from the jump because they know the importance, like I said, of every point throughout the game. So that's another reason to go under is just like, hey, not only is the best scorer going to be out, but these guys are going to have to try that much harder on defense to make up for that loss. I think you also want to make it, that's a good point, Mike, I, I think you also want to make it a dogfight and you want to slow the pace down even more because I think you want less possessions, I think you want less opportunity because you have to go into it presuming that you're fighting an uphill battle, you know what I'm saying? Right. Now, I don't know if Doc's going to intentionally play like that. I know Harden plays very methodical, he eats clock, he, 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 he's not, they have one player on their offense who's going to run the fast break and, and really run every time and that's Tyrese Maxey. Now, if people people aren't running with you, you're not running solo. So I don't see any scenario where the Sixers play fast pace. However, if the Heat get into them full court and it becomes a mud fight and they really are just exchanging baskets and it gets out of control, um, that's the only way I see it going over. And the Heat's defense is so good that I still don't know if Sixers score enough. However, like we said before, there's so much uncertainty with the players out that this becomes hard to evaluate. But we're trying to fill in the pieces with them out to see how it gets played. Um, and yeah, I could easily see this as like an 107 to like 96 uh, so could I. heat win. And that means they cover the spread and go under. Okay, let's move on I think for most the- part, this series goes under. Like, I, I think it's a low under at 208, but what I've recognized, too, is that with extremely low unders, people are hesitant to jump on top of. Um, 
because the number's glaring, it's scary, just like an right. extremely high over, you know? But right. I noticed that those usually hit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If you're willing to maybe go inside. So if it were me, I'd probably buy it up four or five points to be safe. But, you know, you're, you're laying a bigger number, but... Um, I like to say I like to say that line stinks because it when you look at it you're like that's so fishy and you smell it out right and you're like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bet against my instincts because the way I feel this line it does not correctly represent what's going on so for that reason this line stinks it smells like fish and I'm gonna <laughs> bet on the under even though it's very low and probably not what people are expecting to do I just want to talk one last thing before we move on from that series Eric. In a situation when you have, like, the Joel Embiid injury, it's really difficult to look at the betting statistics on a game like that because it's that injury impacts the game so much. And when you see the betting percentages, like how much money is on a certain side or how much bet percentage is on the spread versus the money, you don't know where the bettors got their lines either before or after the announcement. So the numbers are all baked in together, the amount of money that's on the Heat versus the amount of money that's on the Sixers. So when you have an injury that's so significant, do not use the betting statistics to generate an opinion that's worth betting on because, like I said, the statistics themselves are very skewed. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think right, one thing that... Before yeah. we go on, Mike, I just want to say one thing. If people are looking to target something here, um, yeah. individual player props, usage. Oh, yeah, go for it. I love significantly. it. Yeah, I think if you're going to find your best value instead of attacking the game, presuming it stays somewhat close, whatever Tyrese Maxey's line is at for, for points, rebounds, and assists, I would jump on it because his usage, he's already recognized as the third guy in a 1-2-3 system. You know, you have Harden Embiid. He still gets his volume. Tobias Harris... I would stay away from because I still think he plays a forward role in his off ball. Um, he's obviously been integrated more, but I think Tyrese Maxey, whatever his line is, I think people should attack it. Um, I think he's going to be asked to do a lot. I think a lot of pressure is going to be put on Harden and Harden dissipates in those kind of situations. I think Tyrese Maxey's a gamer. I think he's a guy who they're going to rely on heavily for offense. He has the green light. He's playing 40 plus minutes, presuming it's somewhat close. And he's I think literally he's so fast. And, and, and it's, Remember we he talked about like, happens with his speed, right? And we talked about inefficiency as irrelevant in um, which he is efficient. We talked about inefficiency as irrelevant in terms of um, reaching your prop value. Um, yep. He's going to have the green light, and like you said, in in Vegas, not attributing for this is where you attack lines where Vegas doesn't necessarily attribute for missing players. Um, with Joel Embiid out, one Maxi's going to go the whole more. Joel Embiid's not going to be there in the paint. Now, there's going to be more attention on him, but I still think Harden's going to face most of the attention. So I think an off-ball guy like Maxi, who's on ball too, who has the ability to score on his own as the green light, plays 40-plus minutes, is already producing at a high clip, is um, going to be asked to do a lot. And I think awesome. I think he does hit his number. Love it. I, think, I see his over-under on points is 22. Agreed. Rebounds, 3.5. Assists four and a half. So yeah, you're looking at a, a line of twenty two and a half plus seven. Yeah, twenty nine ish thirty. And I and yeah, I think don't 30. be so scared to take it if you're the public because I mean he does rebound, he does assist. When you're asked to do everything and you're already feeling comfortable in the offense as the third option, now you're the second potentially first option. I mean someone's gotta score, right? Someone's gotta do something. They might even try and play like five out and do a lot of driving kicks, sort of like what the Mavericks did when they were missing their centerpiece. So we'll see if they can, like, it could be a live and die by the three game for the 76ers. And if that is, 
that leads to more rebound opportunities and assist opportunities. So yeah, I do well, they're like absolutely going to have to do that. They have no size. They can't run pick and rolls with. I, I mean, Paul Reed's another interesting target too because he looked good in the first series. So he might have a low enough points, rebounds, assists where he does he does fill up the stat sheet. He, he is very efficient around the rim. But you're going against a perennial defense, so I don't know. Yeah, I will not. There's not many any, options outside. I will him. not be putting any of my money on any Paul Reed props. Um, <laughs> well, I'm saying you got to adjust, and if there's no Embiid, Mike, you have to understand that. Like DeAndre Jordan's not Jordan is not a, a serviceable backup in this kind of series. He's slow. He's old. The Heat are fast. They're they're lengthy. They can move around. Paul Reed's. I'm telling you, if Paul Reed. We, we might need to look that up. If it's a low enough number, he might be a very good attack. I don't even see Paul Reed props on FanDuel, so we'll see. Oh, it'll come up, pal. And, yeah, and I want to remember that. this, and you keep this recorded because you're laughing at me, mocking me. <laughs> Paul yeah, Reed's going right. to have the game, the game is tomorrow, so they, they might come out with more lines. All right, let's move on to the uh, Suns versus Mavs. Okay. Eric, I know you've been a big Mavs stan. Are you sticking with that take? We do have Booker back, but are you sticking with the Mavs in the second round? Suns, Mavs? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You want me to to go first with where I'm at and then, and then you can respond and fill in the, fill in the points. Yeah, this one's tough. I don't want to be biased in any way or lead people the wrong way, but I'll give, I'll give my impression and and we can go from there after you go, Mike. Yeah. Okay. I'll start and give you my son's take. I'm already on the sun's minus six for game one. It's since dropped to five and a half and I would continue to bet it. Uh, so I recommend wow. jumping on the five and a half now if you're a Suns backer. Um, the Mavs are a huge public play, and I'm fading that gladly. When I checked last night, Eric, 58% of the bets were on Dallas with the spread, but only 48% of the money was on Dallas. So mm-hmm. to me, that shows that the big money bettors are on Phoenix to cover. Mm-hmm. But here's my here's my Phoenix case. I know you've been a Mavericks guy. I don't know exactly where you stand on this series. But here's basically my Phoenix case, is that the Mavericks chewed up Utah because Utah had no perimeter defense, and the Mavs played that five out like I just talked about. But Phoenix has a much better center to switch in Aiton. Like, he can go inside, outside, inside, outside. And they also have that far superior perimeter defense. Like, Luka's going to be covered by Bridges. Brunson and Dinwiddie are going to have Booker and Paul. Crowder's going to be out there. Cam Johnson provides good length and energy. The Mavs have lived by, lived and died by the three so much in that first series, and they hit their shots, and they feasted against a team that couldn't stay in front of their man. But I just think Phoenix presents a much different tasks, and Phoenix offense is way more reliable than, you know, whatever Utah was rolling out there trying to do each game. So I'm, I'm, I'm backing Phoenix. Uh, the, the series price was minus 275 when it first jumped out. And because of how good Luca is, I think that's a little bit scary to go on a three to like nearly three to one odds against yeah. just like paying three to one juice uh, sure. to back Booker, who's coming off an injury, and fade Luca, who's playing really well. So I wasn't on the series at all, but I did jump on game one. The Mavs did play an extra game. Oh, no, they didn't. They played the same amount of games, but it felt like yeah. the Mavs series was a bit more emotional. Uh, the Mavs Jazz was a bit back, more back and forth, a bit harder fought. I think the Pelicans Suns was sure a bit more. That. I think that I personally think the Pelicans Suns was a bit more like media emotional. Like people wanted to tout up the Pelicans. I don't know how much the Suns really felt that pressure, 
and I think they'll be rolling in this next series. So I'm, I'm fine backing the Suns. Tell me how you feel. I disagree um, entirely. I think I think the Suns series was much more shaky than Dallas series. Dallas in Game Five blew out Utah. They be, they beat them by like thirty points. Um, they also won and stole two games without or stole one game without Luca. And one of the games where Utah won, they were down six or seven towards the end of the game. Dallas was in control. Utah had to hit a buzzer beater or buzzer beater maybe 0.9 seconds with Rudy Gobert to steal a game at home. I think Utah, I think Dallas handled that series if from the jump. I don't think it was relatively close. I think Phoenix was the team that was much more vulnerable, far be it against a, a, a good New Orleans scary up-and-coming team. Um, where they could match up well against Chris Paul, I'll give you that. They had they had you know kind of tough guards like Alvarado that could match up with Paul as well as Herb Jones, who's you know a fantastic defender. However, you mentioned that you think the Suns' defense is far superior. You got to look at Dallas's defensive metric this year. I think they were third in the NBA. Their perimeter defense. You got to remember guys like Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith can guard two through four. They're no, I meant, I meant, I meant. Uh, Phoenix's defense is far superior than Utah's perimeter defense. Not, not okay. in general, but the guys along the perimeter, the Conleys, the Mitchells, the the Royce O'Neal and Bogdanovich, where you only have Royce O'Neal as the only like plus defender, now becomes Chris Paul, who's a plus defender, Bridges, who's an all defensive player, right? Booker, who's pretty damn good, and Crowder. Well, Booker had the best shooting guard defensive metric in the NBA this year, so he's very good. Um, however. Booker is very injured. He played 31 minutes and he played at a very methodical place and he paid very good. But you got to remember, they closed that game out against New Orleans in a close game where Chris Paul had to go 14 for 14. And they barely won. So let's not, let, you know, there is recency bias, which I think you might be riding a little hard here in that the Phoenix was 64 and 18 with the best record in the NBA. They're vulnerable right now. And Dallas is very good. And Dallas is going to give you a consistent game to game performance. They're not a fluky team. They were the four seed. They won 50-plus games this year. They can play without Luka. And the most integral factor, I think, in this entire series comes down to Jalen Brunson, who I think has is, is shown he is a potential superstar. He's playing for money. I think he's already earned the money. He'll be gone next year. Obviously, they acquired Dinwiddie, and they took on his extension. So that indicates that Brunson has to be out because you have to pay Luka. Did but... you hear what Luka said after the the Jazz Series too, when he was asked about Brunson on the court, and he was just like, yeah, that most, guy just earned He should have been most improved player from the get. Say that again? He was most improved player. Luca was, you know, glowing. He, yeah, yeah. And, and Luca said on the court, that man has earned himself a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Everyone think, knows he's, got, he's gone. Yeah, and everybody's think, okay with it. And, Mike, I think what's interesting about the narrative behind that, I don't like to get too much into narratives, but they do matter. There are intangible factors that go into series that matter where you can't put into a statistic or you can't measure because it's not, you know, it's not on paper. It's not a statistic. But the idea that Jalen Brunson is gone and understood in the locker room, he's a very likable guy. He's a Villanova player. You know what I'm saying? He's he's all team. He's blue blood player. Um, they're filled with them. You know, there's no selfishness on this team. I just like the way they play. And I think what you said is interesting with Lucas saying that everyone knows that Jalen Brunson is gone in the offseason. I think the idea of winning someone a ship and doing it together with a guy who's been there from the jump, you know, it's it's an interesting storyline. It's an interesting narrative. I don't know how much it plays into the series. But regardless, I think we'll get into the specifics and the nuances and the minutia, but I think Dallas is capable 
of winning this series, and I don't think it's that far a stretch. Let me put your Brunson love to the test. His over-under for game one is 19.5. Take it. You would take the over, and that's just his points. Yeah, I know. Look how much he's been asked to do offensively, even with Luke on the court. He averaged over th- about 30 points in the last series. People know how good Brunson is. Brunson's a very unselfish player in that he'll let Luca handle the load. But you got to remember, like you said, we're probably seeing Mikel Bridges on Luca predominantly. Not to say anyone can stop Luca, but you're talking about you know the difference of like Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder, very good perimeter defenders who are going to be on Luca, whereas they might have no choice but to put Chris Paul is a plus defender um he's getting older he's gonna have a lot of responsibility on offense he might take defensive sets off and you might see Devin Booker who is injured have to guard Brunson on some series Brunson's gonna take advantage of these series Brunson's gonna be looking to attack he's in attack mode already in the playoffs you can tell he can score on an efficient clip he gets into the paint he hits the three like he's not the type of player who's gonna go two for 14 he's just not He's a very efficient player, and I think he's going to get his shots up, and I think he plays a gigantic role with Luka off the court. You see a lot of Brunson on ball, as well as Dinwiddie, but I think in any series at seven games that you expect to be a dogfight, game one is where Luka will get potentially the most rest. You want to steal one in Phoenix, but you want to preserve him. So I think you're going to see a lot of Brunson, whereas Brunson's going 40-plus minutes every game. If you look at even with Luka on the court, He's playing pretty much the same amount of minutes. And he's getting yeah, he some is. run. He's getting six or seven minutes. Not six or seven minutes. Let's say four to six minutes with Luca off the court. That's an opportunity to get 10 to 15 points for a guy like Brunson. So I do like it. Okay. Um, is there anyone else that you're looking to back in this series from a props perspective? Are, do you have any leans on the lines? The, the first yes. game, I like I said, is five and a half. The series bet on the Mavericks is plus... Uh, 240 if you wanted to bet on the Mavericks to win the series. Um, They'd be plus five and a half in game one. And the over-under for game one is 214. Do you have any leans in any direction on any of those numbers, Eric? Well, I want to start off with Mike. This is the only opportunity for me to say it after you sandbagged me earlier in the segment (laughs) with Chris Paul and um, John Morant. Um, My cousin Mikey here told me to take out Dorian Finney-Smith, which I did. Because I oh, trust him. He's a smart, you, he's a smart sharp kid. He's a smart, sharp kid. So <laughs> I listen. Dorian Smith had about 40 something DFS points, um, which, you know, I thought it was funny. Um, which, Mike, you did say he's a very good NBA player. He stepped up his game significantly. So if we're looking at targeting players, Dorian Finney Smith is a guy who will play 40 plus minutes. Him and Luca have this admiration for each other. They're very comfortable on the court for each, each, with each other. He's, he's turning into a player. And Very he's probably going to draw Booker on him defensively. Correct. Which you got to think Booker, they're telling him. And, and I'd imagine they're telling Booker, they know how good def- he is defensively, but he's not healthy. He's far from being healthy. This is a significant injury he's playing through. Um, granted, he had, what, two days, three days off? That's not a lot. And So Dorian Finney-Smith's over-under for points is 12.5? I love it. And that's a minus 104. If you wanted to take his... Um, over 15 if you think he could score over 15 you can get that at plus 172 so nice almost two to one odds on that which is interesting however i think me and you talk about all the time mike people get manipulated by you know juice when they see a plus value 
I yep. think you know you lay the number closer to twelve and a half because I think it's I think Vegas lines up the props very well. Um, but I think twelve and a half for a guy like Dorian Finney Smith, who's I, I, we'll have to go back and look at the statistics and we'll give the people more of a specific indication. But he's a guy who will see forty plus minutes along with Reggie Bullock. However, Reggie Bullock to hit his prop number needs to hit his threes, whereas Dorian Finney Smith creates a little bit. You know what I'm saying? He'll go to the basket. He'll clean the boards. And Reggie Bullock's a very good player. He doesn't do those things that Dorian Smith provides offensively. Yeah. Um, he's more of a spot shooter, you know, whose role and there, and, and that's what the modern NBA is, right? We talk about it, how you want to create spacing guys like Reggie Bullock are on the court for three and D literally that's where they're on the court. Whereas Finney and exactly. Smith, people have that perception of him, but in reality, he does a lot more and I don't think Vegas is fully caught up to it yet. So, um, I think he's an interesting Agreed. angle. Bullock, Bullock's over under is ten and a half. Yeah, I would lean under on that. You'd have to pay extra juice. Uh, the overs plus money. The under ten and a half is money. very doable too. But I agree with you, Mike. Yeah, that, that. But that to me, that to me is saying he's either going to hit four threes or he's going to hit three threes and another bucket. Um, and it, it would have to be a very weird bucket if you see the way they play. Correct. Right, yeah, like he 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 rarely, if ever, even steps inside the three point line on offense. He so. would have to be an offensive rebound or a foul on an offensive. Or like like a, yeah, I don't like see a, him like creating his own shot ever. Step in shot, which I don't think he's even taking. Yeah, so. but he could hit four threes. Is the thing because the way their offense is run, and this is how modern NBA players uh, teams play. Like he's one of the guys in that name of three point shooters. Me and you talk about Mike, like. He's not a Duncan Robinson. He's not one of those. But he will take seven, eight threes because that's primarily what he's asked to do, to spread the floor, like to open it up. So you're right. I don't like risking a number on a guy to hit four threes either, but he will have the opportunity and the time on the court. The, the main reason why I back the Suns, Eric, is is yeah. I know we're talking on-court metrics and some ways that the Jazz – I mean, some ways that the Mavericks might seem like they have a chance and they have some good players and they have some good 3 and D guys. At the end of the day, the thing I care the most about is the betting mm-hmm. splits. And I'm just going to repeat this. Right now, I'm seeing 55% of the bets are on Dallas, but 55% of the money is on Phoenix. So to me, that shows the people who are betting the bigger amounts are backing Phoenix. And I always like to position myself with the people who bet more money. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm very comfortable backing Phoenix. The other scenario where we have this is the Celtics versus Bucks game one, where big money tickets came in on the Celtics. So, like, even though there's more tickets total on the Bucks, then you know where I stand. The Celtics. So those yeah, are just I, very important things that I consider when betting. Um, probably the most important because I agree that there's other people who see the see the court and set the lines and yeah. might have a little bit sharper angles than I do. But I can read the off-court and sportsbook metrics to know where to put my money in the best way possible. Sure. Um, and, Mike, it's it's an interesting topic you talked about because me and you were talking before we let the public know. And I think this is very important. Um, people innately bias themselves when looking at statistics or, or anything to make an evaluation. You know, me and you were talking. We, should, we like to give. And this is what we're doing here at the public is giving our, you know, perception of how we think the games are going to go, which we'll get into specifically. I think there are areas to kind of attack individually in that game, how we think it's going to go. I like to picture the game and think in my head before I look at any line, before I look at any take, how do I think this series is going to go to see if I can get an edge up to see if I know what I'm doing, you know? Like, like I don't want to say this in any way arrogant, but I, I, I labeled that line at 218 just because of pace. I, 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 I know Vegas lines and I know where it would be around. And to be able to nail something without looking at something first gives me a, you know, 
massive confidence in going into it. Um, so before we even look at who's taking what, Mike, I want mm -hmm. let's talk about the game a little bit. The Mavs Suns. What do we think we're going to see? So who's going to be the starting five? We got Chris Paul, Booker. Is it going to be Jay Crowder? Who's going to play the yeah. four and five? Aiden, Aiden Crowder, Bridges. Bridges, correct. So then on the other side, we're going to have a healthy. And Booker, we have to presume, is still fairly banged up, right? In theory. He's played in previous in theory, years with, right. with a sore hamstring. So we don't really know. We don't really know. But is he going to get his full minute allotment? Potentially. Yeah, I um, think so. Game one's always tricky, though, because you, you're you nursing a tender injury. You, do want, you don't want to lose at home. But... Um, Let's assume Booker does, but we can both agree that he's not going to be 100% Devin Booker who backpacked this team that, this entire year, correct? Yeah, in the same way that I feel like we can't consider Luka Doncic to be a perfect Oh, player. he's 100%, Mike. He played 40 plus. He didn't take a seat in last half. He didn't sit out the game. He's he's good. Okay. I mean, they're both coming awesome. back. They're both coming back off lower extremity injuries from the first round. One's played the entire series, though. One missed three games. But... Um, Luca missed the first two games and he's played the last five or four. So, and he's seen he an up. The, yeah, he missed the first three. He played the last three. Booker, and he didn't Booker sit didn't play in the, the last second one, half of last played game. Played over thirty minutes, so I think Booker should be okay. He didn't sit in the second half of last game, Luca. Not for a second. He played the entire third and fourth. Yeah, so that's, that's a good. Sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta think he's good to go. Um, Okay, so then on the other side of the ball, you have what? You have you have Brunson and Luca running the co one and two, right? Yep. And then you have Bullock at the three, Finney Smith at the four, and Dwight Powell at the five, right? Yep. I think any time that uh, Luca's on the court, you're going to have Jalen Brunson on the court, and any I mean, anytime Luca's on the court, you're going to have Dwight Powell on the court, and hundred uh, percent. They have such a strong pick and roll chemistry, and. Uh, if Luca's probably the worst defender and Powell's probably your best rim protector, I know I know Kleba's a good switch defender, but in terms of rim mm -hmm. protection on this team, so if you're gonna have Luca, you want to pair him with Powell, and then I would say you have Kleba come in anytime Luca sits, and you have that Dinwiddie and Kleba lineup too. Agreed, and I think like you said earlier, Mike, you made a good point with stretch defenses. I think Phoenix is much more capable to play you on a five out. I think that Dallas might be the best five out team in the league. Because yep. if you put okay. on Cleburne, if you put Kleber on that floor, any one of them can shoot a three at a high efficiency. Even Luca, Luca's Luca's an efficient three point shooter. And even Bertans, if you want to get crazy. Well, well, Bertans. Let's talk about Bertans. He signed, remember, three four years ago. He signed an eighty we million dollars. Eric, Eric, we do not need to talk about Dallas Bertans. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I agree. If, um, he will, he will come into play if someone's in foul trouble, and if someone's in foul trouble, and he comes into play, he can maybe hit a few threes and be dangerous. Yeah. Kleba, let's talk about Kleba though. Kleba, Kleba's very interesting because Kleba is is very good at a five out type of situation. He can come up, he can knock down the open three, he can dribble. Um, he's going to be interesting. However, I I think Crowder could handle his own. That's what makes guys like Crowder so valuable that people don't recognize. He's a six eight guy who could kind of guard the two through four. Like I think he could do fine on Kleba. He could be physical. Yep. Um, however, it does space out the floor significantly, and they will be running pick and rolls. With Kleba every time, he becomes an interesting prop guy too that we might want to get into his number. Yeah, so I just I just checked. There's nothing listed for him yet. I, again, yeah. I think because this is the tomorrow night's late game, I think we'll definitely get more lines that come out. But Kleba is someone that I'd be scared to back again because with Luca returning and playing more, I think we're gonna have more Dwight Powell minutes than we had in 
the Utah series, and Cleva shot his the lights out. Like he was like eight for eleven from three one game. So I don't Here's know how much we could expect that to sustain. So I'm like in a in terms of a player prop scenario on the mm-hmm. Mavs, I'm probably in a bit more of a wait and see mode to know their exact rotations. I think you could look to over on threes on a guy like Finney Smith or a guy like Brunson or Dinwiddie because you know they're going to shoot four, five, six threes every single game. However, Vegas knows the bigs get tricky. However, Vegas knows this as well, and if we're talking about attacking good lines, Finney Smith will be put at three and a half as well as Bullock will be put at three and a half four. Vegas is not going to be stingy with the. I mean, they're going to be stingy with those. Whereas I know, I think I have a good feel on Dallas's rotations, and if you look at the games, Mike Dwight Powell played six minutes in the last game, and the games that Dwight Powell saw uptick in minutes, I know that it coincided with Luka coming back. However, if you look at those games, Kleba was in foul trouble very early and on, so he had three or four fouls in each of those games, which stifled his minutes. You get fouls when you have to guard Gobert. He was completely undersized. He's gotcha. not going to have as much of that issue. Aiton's a big body, but like it's not as big as Gobert on the offensive boards, and whereas Gobert gets soft, he's still 7'2". So I expect Kleba to see north of 20 to 24 minutes should he stay out of foul trouble, at which point I'm guessing his points is 8.5. It's an interesting take. It's, yeah, it, it I, think if his, if, I think if his points line comes out at 8.5, I'm interested on the over. If it comes out at 10.5, I'm, I'm not touching it. And it won't it be 10.5. 12.5, I'm betting the under. <laughs> you're not putting you're not putting Kleber at 12 and a half no way that'll be plus like 400 but you will get like a six and a half eight and a half and I think it becomes very he could put the ball on the floor Mike he's not just a three-point yeah I, I I like anything under nine I like the over mm-hmm. I think anything over 11 I, I'm I'm starting to be like eh. I agree because then you're gonna need three or four field goals but he is a the thing is he shot at a very efficient clip Mike but if you give Kleber the minutes, they expect him to do things offensively more than just your average, even more than like a, a Bullock, because Bullock is required to stand at the three-point line. If you notice how the offense run, people don't evaluate basketball the way we're dissecting it. You won't see Bullock try to create because that changes the entire foundation of the offense, whereas Kleba's involved in the pick and roll with Luka. Yep. So, it's interesting. All right. Uh, are there any other angles or anything else you want to discuss? I think we gave this both of these games a pretty good overview. We talked about the spreads. We talked about the series price. We talked about the over-unders. And we even hit on some player props for both. Anything else that you want to discuss before we get out of here, Eric? Yeah, Mike. I don't think we talked about the over-under in this Phoenix-Dallas game. I think maybe that's interesting because I, okay. I tend to lean under. Yeah, it's 214. And Ooh. I agree. I definitely lean under. Um, Defensive-minded teams, right? Slow pace. Slow pace. Uh, I think Mavs are going to be shooting a lot of threes, which is a live and die situation. Um, because of the perimeter defense that Phoenix can roll out, I think, I, again, in game one, they might be missing a few extra shots, might not have exactly their rotations down yet. So, yeah, I would lean under the 214. Um, I agree with you, Mike. I lean under, too. I, uh, and I think a big component is their point guards run very methodical offense. You're going to see pick and rolls. You're going to see wait for your best shot type offenses. So, I think the amount of shots put up, if we want to look at it specifically from a ability to get to that number, um, yep. I see no more than 88 shots taking per team, and that's a lot. It might even so be right a right now, team. Eric, I'm seeing 53% of the money, 53% of the bets coming in on the under, but 78% of the money coming in on the under. So that, again, shows that the, the people who are betting the big amounts are hammering the under. 
Correct. And I mean, without even looking at that, we were able to ana- analyze that just based on the way the teams play. That's that seems like an inflated number at two fourteen to me. I think it's. I think I like that more than anything we've discussed yet. To be honest, just because. You have one side of the ball, Chris Paul, who's going to run an offense through pick and rolls, methodical offense, and then you have the same exact thing on the other side of the ball, where they're not rushing their shots. These teams don't play at a fast break. They don't. They don't play like that. Um, Phoenix does a little bit, but that's because Phoenix is able to turn you over. You're not going to be able to turn Luka Doncic over as much as you'd like. He just doesn't turn the ball over. He's big. Yep. He's six eight. He'll body you up the floor, and it's just not going to happen. And Eric, this is actually a spot where we have some reverse line movement. Not too sure if you're familiar with that, but the line opened at 212, and now it's moved to 214 and a half. Right. And so, so we're so we're moving it. It's increasing, even though we like the under. So again, that's in reverse direction of what we're hoping for, which even further helps us because now we're getting more points 100%. in our direction that we like. So yeah, I think that under two fourteen, under two fourteen and a half, depending on where you're betting it, um, it's. And Mike, I think that reverse under comes into the fact that people presume it's going to be a close game. I think that's 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 why. Yep. I think in close games, free throws at the end of the game. However, I don't think that should skew anybody off that number. I think the game's going to be played at a slow pace. So regardless if it's close or not, late game free throws, I think it stays under. And a quick note to like shop multiple sports books right now. It's at two fourteen and a half on DraftKings and 214 on FanDuel. So if you were to bet on DraftKings, you would just get a half a point for free. So make sure that you check different books, or even you could check like a site like Odd Shark or Action Network or one of these things that coagulates all of the lines from all the different sports books, and then you know where to go. So make sure that you have access to multiple sports books to bet in. Yeah, I agree, Mike. So to be crystal clear on, uh, on everything we've discussed, my favorite takes would have to be that under. Out of everything, including the Philadelphia Sixers heat game. Well, I guess we only discussed two games because of the games that are approaching within an hour and a few hours. We'll touch on those after. Um, but in terms of everything we talked about, I'm looking at a Maxi Kleber number, a Dwight Finney-Smith over points, rebounds, assists. I think he does everything, and you got to look at the minutes he's going to get per game. And yeah. I'd have to go with my number one take with the under in the game. You also said that you liked the Heat to cover the eight and a half, and you also liked that uh, potential Tyrese Maxey points, rebounds, and yes. drop. Good point, Mike. Uh, I think Maxey should be in that core core things to take. I, I and those five pretty much you put in the Heat. And my bets are I'm already on the Heat minus four, and I'm already on the Heat for the series, so I kind of got lucky there. So I have no opinion on the eight and a half situation because sure. it kind of just doesn't apply to me. But I do like the Phoenix Suns minus five and a half, and I do like the uh, under two fourteen as well. And before we go, we'll just we'll just say that we're we're a little conflicted on the Dallas Suns series. Um, we're we're at opposite ends. So whoever wants to hear and pick which side, Mike's Mike's going with the Suns here. I lean more to Dallas. I think every game is close. I think I think you want to take Dallas with the points here. Maybe yeah, I don't have up. any I don't have any bets on the series yet. I do think just a game one situation where we're going to be in Phoenix, where the Mavs are going to be traveling on the road. I like I like the home court advantage for game one. So just for game one, I'm on the the Phoenix side, and then I'm going to be evaluating this on a game by game. And we will continue to talk about it, and we will continue to post episodes, and we will continue. To let the people know what we're betting on and what we're seeing. And Eric, thank you for joining me today. Of course. I appreciate it. And we will talk certainly soon, probably later this week. Yep, let's do it, Mike. Cool E. All right.
Thank you, Cooley. <laughs> All right.